Can you believe it's already the Christmas season? I was talking about that with some people just a little bit earlier. It's like it's hard to imagine. I just don't know where the time goes. And yet I look forward to it every year. I start thinking, about, I'm not as bad as my wife, and you guys know the story. I've told you every year. And I came home one day in September, and she had on Christmas music. And I'm like, no, it's too early. And she's like, okay, when you're not here, I'm listening to Christmas music. But anyway, I, I do look forward to Christmas music. I love everything about Christmas. I, I love the music, the decorations. I love the parties. I love to celebrate it with my family. I'm a family guy, and I look forward to it every year when all the family's going to be there. I love the exchanging of gifts. And like many of you, I, I really don't, maybe it's a stage of life. I don't care that much anymore about receiving gifts, but I absolutely love to watch my family open up their gifts. I also, let me just say here, I also love the Christmas specials on television that are proclaiming the birth of Jesus Christ on secular TV. I absolutely love that every year. So I love it all. And yet I'm very much aware, guys, hear me please, I'm very much aware that not everyone does. In fact, there are groups like, for instance, the ACLU, who so dislike Christmas that they've threatened people with lawsuits if there's even a mention of Jesus Christ in a public setting. It's literally turned into a cultural battle as businesses and community leaders feel pressured to these days use happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. It's absolutely ridiculous but it's become a real thing in our society today. In some ways, I've just gotta tell you, it reminds me of the children's Christmas story by Dr. Seuss, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I'm sure you've either read the book to your kids or you've seen the movie by Jim Carrey, which I think that was the best one. It takes place in an imaginary town of Whoville. And the Grinch couldn't stand seeing people celebrate Christmas, and so he tries to figure out a way to stop Christmas. Listen to this paragraph out of the book. It says, and they're hanging their stockings, he snarled with a sneer. Tomorrow is Christmas, it's practically here. Then he growled with his Grinch fingers nervously drumming, I must find some way to stop Christmas coming. Now guys, I realize this is simply a children's story. I get that. I'm just saying that not everyone is a fan of Christmas today. Well, today we're going to begin a four-week series called Untold. We all love to recite these Christmas stories, don't we? we? We know them by heart. We've heard them since we were children, and we share them with our children. Stories that give us these warm fuzzies. We love to talk about a baby lying in a manger, surrounded by shepherds and, shepherds and wise men who come bearing gifts. And while it's certainly a true story, it's just not the entire story. It's a very abbreviated, shortened version. But as Paul Harvey used to say, let's talk about the rest of the story. Now, it might even surprise you, but some parts of the story can even be painful and a bit outrageous. And so over the next few weeks, we're gonna look at a couple examples of what I'm talking about today. But today we're gonna start by talking about the untold story of two kings. Now, the first king is named Herod the Great. It's a nickname, by the way, that he most likely gave himself. Think about narcissism. There you go. It's a nickname that he gave himself. Now, there are, here's a little bit of uh, trivia. 
there's actually six different Herods mentioned in the Bible because a lot of times I'll have people come up and they'll say, I'm just confused. I mean, it's like, did the guy live to be 400 years old or what? They just keep talking about Herod. Well, there's six different Herods mentioned in the Bible. And by the way, they're all related to one another. And interestingly enough, they were all angry, evil scoundrels. And yet, guys, this one that we're talking about today that's talked about in Matthew chapter 2 that we've called Herod, that calls himself Herod the Great, is by far the worst of them all. You know, he would... Uh, He was born into a family of wealth and privilege, and at the age of 25, the Roman Senate named him the governor of Galilee, which was a very high position for a man of his youth, for a young man. In fact, the Romans were so impressed with Herod, they gave him the title King of the Jews, which it's ironic because he wasn't even a Jew. So, as you can imagine, the Jews hated him being referred to as the king of the Jews because the true king of the Jews would certainly be born a Jew, and he would come from the lineage of David. Herod was promoted to his position by the Romans, and he continued to hold on to that power for over 40 years through the use of terror and tyranny. Now, Herod the Great was the embodiment of a dictator and exhibited at least four classic characteristics of a dictator. And I want to give you those today if I could. Number one, his preoccupation with number one, power. His preoccupation with power. Herod was absolutely addicted to power. He thrived on power. And he had the ability to control, he wanted the ability to control other people. It's actually what Lucifer or Satan wanted in heaven. It's what Pharaoh wanted in Egypt. It's what Lot wanted in Sodom. It's what some people want today in business or politics, or even in their employment, or even in their church, or maybe even with people they run around with. This thirst for power is basically, my friends, the sin of pride. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, it says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. I'm just telling you, friends, the habit of pride, the habit of pride will eventually bring you down. C.S. Lewis called it the great sin. People with pride have an I problem. It's all about me, myself, or I. So, guys, when we talk about this need or this preoccupation for power, we're talking about the sin of pride. It's the idea, I don't need God. I don't need God because I'm my own man or I'm my own woman. Pride keeps us from acknowledging the sin that's in our life. Pride keeps us from dealing in any way with the sin that's in our life. It's been said that all sin in one way or another is birthed out of pride. Herod, absolutely, we could spend a lot of time just talking about it, but Herod was absolutely a man full of pride and addicted to power. And he was never hesitant to use his power to protect his kingdom. He was constantly surrounded, if you read the story of Herod, he was constantly surrounded by bodyguards and palace spies. And he literally killed anyone suspected of disloyalty. Secondly, his preoccupation with possessions. Now, guys, 
I don't want to go into lengthy detail here, but there's nothing wrong with having things. That's not the point that I'm getting. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the preoccupation with possessions, where it becomes literally a priority in your life. In other words, as long as those, there's nothing wrong with having things as long as those things don't have a hold on you, as long as those things don't become an idol or become a priority in your life. God needs to be preeminent in our life. God needs to have first position and first place in our life. But oftentimes we allow material possessions or things or stuff to take priority. That's when it becomes a problem. That's when it becomes dangerous. And so we're talking about the sin of greed. And it's a belief or attitude, the more stuff you have, the more satisfied you'll be. And yet, it's never enough. Greed has this way that no matter how much you accumulate, it's never enough. You want that much more. Herod couldn't get enough. He, he built seven palaces and he built seven theaters. He even built stadiums for sporting events. Okay, the third characteristic of a, of a dictator, his preoccupation with prestige. His preoccupation with prestige. Herod desperately wanted to impress other people. He wanted others to look up to him, to think highly of him. He built entire, city, he built entire cities with state-of-the-art architecture and amenities. And he named them after his superiors. He wanted to look good to them. He wanted to impress them. They say Herod also had the gift of gab. Do you have the gift of gab? Herod had the gift of gab. He knew how to win people over. In fact, several of his 10 marriages, hit this, 10 marriages. One's enough for me, but he had 10 marriages. Imagine that. Several of his 10 marriages were prestige-oriented, or in other words, what do I mean by that? They were politically motivated. He once married the daughter of his leading rival in order to gain prestige and power. But again, he was an evil man. And so he later killed her and killed all of his rival's family, which brings us to the last characteristic of a dictator. Number four, his preoccupation with paranoia. A paranoid person is willing to step on anyone that gets in their way, and they believe that everyone else feels the same way. Does that make sense? In other words, a paranoid person thinks everybody else is paranoid. A paranoid person believes that just like I'm going to stick it to anybody that's trying to stick it to me, believes that everybody else is feeling and believing the same thing. A paranoid person thinks that everyone, else, everyone is out to hurt them. Herod had a cupbearer that would taste all of his food before he'd ever put a bite in his mouth. He built several fortresses to keep his enemies out. All of them were heavily armed and well-provisioned. He built them to keep himself safe from his enemies. Masada in Israel, some of you have heard of that before. If you've ever been to Israel with us or uh, another group, uh, you probably visited Masada. It's probably the most well-known fortress that he built. In addition, he established an elaborate network of spies, and anyone that would plot to dethrone Herod was immediately executed. I mean, they, history has no idea how many people he had put to death. One, histor one historian said that Herod's cruelty was in direct proportion to his paranoia. Right after he took the throne, he had just, be he had just become taken this position, 
He had 70 of the most influential religious leaders in Jerusalem. They were known as the Sanhedrins. He had all 70 of them put to death. When his 16-year-old brother-in-law tried to make a name for himself, Herod held the boy's head underwater until he drowned. Herod trusted no one, not even his 10 wives. In fact, he suspected, the ambitious, he suspected the ambitions of the one wife that he truly loved, who was named Marianne, who we talked about a minute ago that he had put to death and her family put to death. He had her executed, only to find out later that he was wrong about his suspicions of her. He also executed three of his own sons because he feared they were plotting against him. He also had his brother-in-law his brother-in-law's wife and their sons, or in other words, his nephews, all killed or put to death. After hearing of this last incident, Caesar Augustus commented, I think it's safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. Listen, guys, Herod's paranoia earns him a well-deserved place alongside the great dictators of history. And this horrible man ruled for more than 40 years. That is, until he clashed with another king. And this king was also called, or also had the title, King of the Jews. The Gospel Matthew talks about this clash between King Herod and a newborn king. And of course, even though they both carried the title King of the Jews, Matthew makes it very clear that Jesus is the only one with the legitimate claim to that title. So one day, one day the word comes to Herod that some magi have arrived from the east. And these stargazers, we'll call them, ask Herod a question that shook him to his very core. In Matthew chapter 2, it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? This isn't a title that was given to him. He was born king of the Jews. We have come to worship him. There it is. That right there, that statement that the Magi made to Herod was the cause of his paranoia. It was was part of the cause of his insecurity his fear that one day the real king of the Jews would come and take away his throne. Let's read on, verse 3. It says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. The word disturbed here literally means to shake violently. So to say that Herod was upset, to say that he was upset, my friends, would be an understatement. He was furious. So he calls together all the religious leaders to find out if the scriptures had anything to say about this coming king. And they quickly quote the prophet Micah. Look at it in Matthew, let's read on Matthew 12 or Matthew 2. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod winces, as you might imagine. He winces when he hears the word ruler. Maybe these strangers are onto something. 
Maybe this boy king is the one the Bible has predicted would come. So listen to what he tells these wise men as we read on. Verse 7, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too, this is Herod speaking, he says, go and find him and report to me so that I too may go and worship him. This, my friends, is the deception of Herod. He pretended to care about Jesus and asked the Magi to find out where Jesus was so that he could go and worship him, obviously. Worshiping Jesus was never a part of his plan. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So when they find Jesus, it says uh, they bowed down and they began to worship him. And they gave him some pretty expensive gifts. Listen, guys, I don't know how they knew. I don't know how they knew, but when these wise men saw the Christ child, they just knew. You ever just know in your knower? You ever, you ever just know something? It's like no matter what anybody says, there's just something in your gut that tells you, something in your spirit that tells you. That's what they felt when they saw the Christ child. They just knew. They knew that he was in fact the Messiah. Friends, listen to me please. When your spiritual eyes have been opened and you see Jesus for the very first time, you will know you will know that he is in fact the savior of the world. You will know that you need to worship him. You will have this overwhelming desire to give him your first and to give him your best. By the way, guys, this event didn't happen on Christmas morning as we like to portray. The story that we tell, we make it all sound like it all happened within a two or three hour period. That's not the case. This trip across the desert would have taken the wise men several months. And in verse 9, it said the star stopped over the place where the child was. The word child here in the original language is the word for toddler. The star appeared over where actually the toddler was, not the newborn baby. In verse 10, it also mentions that they came to the house, not the stable, they came to the house where the child was. No mention of a stable here. Jesus and his parents were living in a home when these wise men show up. Let's read on verse 12. It says, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. While Herod may have been a very, listen to me guys, while Herod may have been a very powerful man, all the powers of heaven were protecting this Christ child. After the wise men worship the new king, God warns them in a dream not to go back to Herod, but to go back a different way, to go back a different route. Guys, listen. Again, I would tell you that once you've seen Jesus, you will never walk the same route again. Once you've seen Jesus and been introduced to a relationship with him, you will never walk the same steps again. Your life will be transformed. Your life will be changed. 
You'll now want to follow God's plan for your life instead of your own. Well, then we see that God warns Joseph in a dream. We read on in verse 13, and it says, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. By the way, Some people believe that Joseph was able to finance this trip, this unexpected trip to Egypt by using these expensive gifts that were given to him by the wise man. And some want to argue and say, no, he never would have done that. It it really doesn't matter to me whether he does or doesn't. Many believe that he did. However he did, he did it. In the end, we just know God provided a way. We just know that God provided everything that was needed to protect his son. And that, my friends, you can bank on. And in the same way that God provided and took care of the needs of his son, of of the Christ child, is the same way that he takes care of your needs and of my needs. But what happens next is so horrific that it's hard for us to even wrap our brain around, much less to even talk about But to continue reading in verse 16, it says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. When Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was ticked, he was angry, and he gave orders to kill all the male babies in Bethlehem. Think about that. He gave orders to kill all the male babies in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and younger. Listen, friends, if you read, if you put this in context and you read the story of Herod the Great, he killed a lot of people. He he was a mass murderer and he had a lot of people put to death, but this horrific act would give him a whole new title as Butcher of Bethlehem. I mean, come on, try to imagine how horrible it would have been for a mother or a father or a parent to have a soldier burst through their front door, grab their baby boy and throw him to the floor and run a sword through him. I just don't think that any of us can begin to comprehend. I don't think any of us can begin to imagine the grief that these women, the grief that these parents must have felt. This is not the part of the Christmas story that we often tell our children on Christmas. It's not, a part, it's not a part of the Christmas that you write songs about. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. I will promise you guys that Bethlehem was not still when Herod's soldiers came for Jesus. Matthew underlines the pain in the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy in the next verse, verse 17. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Guys, this is a part of the Christmas stories that is the picture of two kings, two worlds that would clash, two kingdoms that would clash, two worlds a kingdom of God and a kingdom of this world. These two kingdoms, listen to me, these two kings both possessed immense power. 
But how they chose to use that power is revealed in the hearts of two radically different people and two radically different men. One was a tyrant, the other was a servant. One was consumed with self-interest, the other was focused on pleasing God and serving others. One manipulated, slandered, deceived, and coerced. The other healed, touched, taught, and loved. Even his nickname, Herod the Great, had to be the ultimate oxymoron in history. He was totally bankrupt as a human being. He was addicted to power. He is obsessed with possessions. He was focused on prestige, and he was filled with paranoia. In fact, all through the Gospel of Matthew, he shows us two kingdoms that were in conflict. While Herod represents the kingdom of this world, which is doomed to fail or doomed to fall, Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, which can never be defeated. So friends, the bottom line is, who will you follow? The kingdom of this world or the kingdom of God? Because basically, my friends, those are your only two choices. And I just think that we all need to take a hard look at ourselves Because when we look in a mirror, I think all of us at times, we see a little bit of Herod staring back at us. He seems to to come out when I would rather rule than serve. He seems to come out when I focus on what I want rather than on what I can give. He seems to come out when I'd rather be honored than look for ways to honor others. And when I see others as a threat, instead of people that absolutely matter to God. Herod was a bad man. There's just no question about that. He didn't want to give up his authority for anyone, not even the Messiah. You know, today I oftentimes hear Christians say that they want Christ to be boss in their life, that they want Christ to be the head of their lives. And yet, really when it comes right down to it, they're not willing to totally surrender their life Talk is cheap. It's easy to say that Jesus is the most important thing in my life, but is he really? Because sometimes even our prayers can be selfish and self-centered. Instead of asking God what he wants for us, we have a grocery list of things that we want from him. We say he's the most important thing in our life, but we don't, we don't live like he really is. Guys, I'm, I'm just saying, be honest with yourself. Which king is ruling your life? Which kingdom will you choose? Because Jesus makes it very, very clear in Matthew chapter 6. He says, no one, now get this, guys, no one, not a single person in this room, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve, guys, no matter how you want to cut it, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and the things of this world. He tells us in Mark chapter 8, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Jesus needs to be the priority in your life. Jesus needs a place of preeminence in your life. He needs to be first. 
We need to come to a place where we give God our best. We give him first and we give him our best because we're devoted to him. We love him because of all that he's done for each one of us. Guys, if you've not made Jesus Christ the first in your life, I'd give you an opportunity to do that today. Some of you have never invited Christ in your life. I want to give you that opportunity today. Some of you are Christians, you're believers, you're followers of Christ, and yet you haven't really surrendered all. You haven't really committed to be all in. You've not really given him preeminence in your life. And I would encourage you to do that today. I'm going to turn this over to the campus pastors, and they're going to give you an opportunity to pray to invite Christ in your life.